Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing's podcast number 91 on November 23rd of 2022. Today, I will be answering seven interesting investment questions. Question number one, what are your thoughts on index funds? Index funds, mutual funds, ETFs are very much the same to me. There are thousands of funds competing for your money. The typical investor buys the fund recommended by an investment advisor. They're always told that it safely diversifies your investments and is bound to make you rich. The investor blindly accepts the recommendation, does not read the fine print in the fund's prospectus, and has only a vague idea what they are paying for it every year. They also neglect to determine what charges they would face for liquidating the fund. The charges can be very significant. Except that funds are designed to make as much money for the fund companies as they can, and not you. You have no control over the investment once you give them your money. You immediately have committed yourself to a significant annual charge, which is often cleverly buried and not the so small a charge that you wouldn't even notice it. Costs are important in investing. The funds count on you not looking too closely. The fund may or may not make a gain. If it doesn't make a gain, it is compared to the average of indexes and you are told that fluctuations are to be expected and to suck it up. You really have no idea as to just how many stocks the fund is invested in and whether they are financially strong, weak, or mediocre. Even if you thought you understood the fund, its makeup can change tomorrow. Funds who invest in hundreds of stocks are ridiculous. There just are not that many good stocks available, and how can you show leverage in an index when typically you have 1% or less invested in most of the stocks? Supposedly, because these are professionally managed funds, they must be able to do better than what you could do on your own, but a fund is not going to do as well as your carefully invested 20 financially strong stocks paying high dividends with long histories of share price and dividend gains. Pick 20 stocks and track them over the next year before buying them and see for yourself. I did. Obviously, because I naively lost $300,000 in mutual funds that an investment advisor had put my money into, I have little faith in any fund that is being marketed to me. I have no one to blame but myself if my portfolio performs poorly, but I will always know exactly what I am invested in, why I am invested in it, and what it is costing me. My portfolio is many multiples ahead of where I started off self-investing 20 years ago. Despite 
the very generous dividend cup it pays me every year. Question number two. Can you get out of debt without declaring bankruptcy? If you can avoid your creditors for a length of time, depending on your jurisdiction, and exceed the statute of limitations, you cannot be sued for a debt. Without pursuing legal proof of your debt, you are now free of the legal responsibility of that debt. It is not easy, but not impossible, to avoid creditors, their lawyers, and their collection agencies. You may be changing your residency every few months, living under an alias, restricted on how you can earn enough to survive, avoiding any contact with relatives or friends, living without credit cards and a bank account. In most cases, it is easier and less stressful to just go bankrupt. Question number three. What is the ideal number of long-term stocks for proper diversification in a portfolio? It is important to recognize that no one can accurately predict future stock market gyrations. Some of the stocks that are selected for a portfolio will do better than other stocks in the portfolio. This is why you invest equally in 20 stocks and not two stocks or 200 stocks. Two stocks put too many of your eggs in one basket. 20 stocks minimizes the risk that one stock that deviates from its set historical patterns could negatively impact your portfolio's total results. More than 20 stocks increases the chances that you will not take the time to periodically rescore each stock. As well, there is a limited supply of financially strong stocks paying high dividends, and you want the best of the best in your portfolio. There are fewer than 100 stocks out of thousands traded on the New York Stock Exchange that would even be considered for such a portfolio. If one of the 20 stocks encounters a once-in-a-million disaster, the most you would lose would be 5% of the value of your portfolio. If your 20 financially strong stocks are generating a safe dividend income that averages 6% of the value of your portfolio, the impact of losing one stock in the portfolio will hardly be noticed. Question number four. If I file for bankruptcy, will everyone know? Bankruptcy is a means of getting rid of crushing debt. In some circles, it is seen as a rite of passage on their way to eventual success. A high percentage of those who go bankrupt this year who have been bankrupt before, which means creditors are either not checking or did not care. So even if someone learns you have previously been bankrupt, it is not much different than learning someone was divorced. Interesting 
But so what? The slate has been wiped clean. Half of marriages end up in divorce. Far fewer people become bankrupt than divorce. Probably because if the debt obligation is small and the debtor's assets are negligible, it is not worth the effort and money to go bankrupt or pursue the debt through the courts. To find out someone is bankrupt is not easy unless they tell you. You have to make an effort to check public records, which can cost you money and time. Few people have the motivation and time to conduct such a search. Question number five. Why are hedge funds so popular if most of them underperform the S&P 500? People want to believe that experts exist that can predict the future. When a hedge fund gets lucky and realizes a quick, large gain for one investor, the hedge fund milks that proof of their ability to read the future and generate fantastic profits for their clients to the fullest. Naive investors, blinded by their desire to also become fantastically rich, shovel their money at the hedge fund. Since hedge funds are usually only accepting amounts of a million dollars or more and taking 2% of that money as an entry fee, they are immediately ahead $20,000 every time that investor invests with them. The investor loses all control over what the hedge fund does with their money. They are virtually no restrictions on what they invest in. Their investments go far beyond the Monday investments like stocks. The more exotic and obscure, the greater the appeal. The managers controlling the hedge funds are skilled at stringing out the investor for years without returning the fantastic returns that attracted the investor. They blame the poor results on changes in the market and assure the investor that the big payoff is just around the corner. These hedge fund investors believe their only option is to entrust their money to these hedge fund experts if they are ever to become filthy rich. They find it hard to accept that they could easily get safer, better returns on their money as self-directed investors. No one has shown them how to do it and how easy it can be to grow your wealth steadily, not dramatically, over many years. They do not want to give up the elusive dream of quick riches. Question number six. How will my business be impacted if I file for personal bankruptcy? Your business is an asset. If you are a proprietor, it will be sold and used to pay creditors. If it is incorporated, your shares in it are an asset and will be seized to pay creditors. This is why many business owners put the shares in their wife's name to keep it out of the bankrupt estate. This has to be done long before the bankruptcy otherwise can be declared to be a fraudulent conveyance and denied it would then be seized by creditors. Perhaps sell the business 
and remain as an employed general manager of the new owners. The money from the sale can help pay off the debt. You might even be able to avoid bankruptcy. Question number seven. Why don't companies increase their dividends when the stock price is low and decrease them when it is high to keep the dividend yield constant? If you kept the dividend dollar payout constant, the dividend yield percent automatically increases if the share prices goes down and automatically decreases if the share price goes up. Since large banks are in competition with each other, you can often see many instances where, as their share prices increase every year and they keep increasing the dividend payouts to keep the dividend yield percent the same as it has historically been. For appearances and competitive reasons, they never want to see a declining dividend yield. This leads to the situation that when the stock was trading at $50 and they were paying a $2.50 annual dividend payout, or 5%, they had to increase the dividend payout to $5 when the share prices rose to $100 to maintain the 5% dividend yield. Thus, for a stock that you originally bought for $50, you're now getting a return of 10% on your original investment, not to mention the new capital gain, even though the dividend yield percent still remains at 5%. Buyers of such unexciting stocks can often double the value of their portfolio in less than five years. Time is their friend. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. <laughs>